Turn to Romans chapter 8. Now, I'm going to admit, we're going to go Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. This is some thick and heavy stuff. Now, I know you've got your children running around and, and all things kind of happening a little bit there at the house. And so you may have to push pause. You may have to come back to it. We recognize that. But we believe it's God's goodness for us to be here, and we're going to continue right through it. Also, this passage is one that I wrestle with in my own life and own ministry and, and work through. And I never would have dreamed that the, the next time I preach it, I'm going to be preaching it to the open air, if you will, to anybody that can hear it. So we're going to do our best to look to God's word this morning and find the truths in it that comfort us and move us, even during this difficult time, comfort us as believers in this life and give us that assurance and confidence we can have in Christ. That's what we're going to do this morning. So Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. If you have your Bibles, like I said, we'll, we'll be reading from there. And I'm going to read that together for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Paul writing says, says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your truth, and it is good for us. God, I thank you for this opportunity for us to gather in a way that was unexpected, in a way that may be a little bit awkward, God, but but in a way that you had ordered and you knew about before even the creation of this day. So, Father, we just ask that you would uh, help us to understand your word this morning, that it would comfort us through the power of your spirit, that you would mold us and shape us, conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I feel like I need to, again, put us in context here in Romans 8. Romans 8.1 begins with this great verse, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Then it continues on through that, that terrific truth, no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and talks about those who are in Christ and those who are not. And it says if you are in, in Christ and the Spirit dwells within you, and if the Spirit dwells within you, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. You follow after the Lord and you pursue after Him. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, verse 14 says. And verse 17, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. And so in this, we see this true, no condemnation, spirit dwells within you, giving you life, the adopted into the family of God as his children, as his sons of God, and then you are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. But as we've said the last couple of weeks, it, it, it provides a little different statement after that. At the second half of verse 17, it says, you are heirs, God, heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. And so Paul, recognizing that in this life, suffering is going to come. And so now he's going to give us some encouragements. Verses 18 through 25, we have the hope that sustains us. The hope that sustains us as we wait eagerly for that adoption. In verses 26 through 28, we have the Holy Spirit that strengthens us, even in how we pray, even in how we pray. Verse 28, last week we talked about the Lord who is sovereign that gives us safety in all things, gives us confidence. And so now, as we look to these last 
these next three verses, 28, 29, and 30, I want us to consider that. I want us to understand how God is sovereign over all things. Remember last week we worked in verse 28, and it says, and we know, something that, that the believers didn't have to be taught. They knew this. This was a part of what it means to be a Christian, to know that God is in control. And he's working all things together. He's working them. They're not in idle. All things are working. They're moving. They're doing something. And they're working together. Uh, the, the point last week that has stuck with me, and I've repeated to so many people throughout this week of chaos, if you will, is there is not one thing working separately from God's plan. As if that one thing can thwart it, can stop it, can end it. In fact, all things are working together. So there's no rogue thing out there seeking to destroy God's plan. So even as we're in the midst of a pandemic and we consider the coronavirus and other things, none of these things are outside of God's plan. And for us as believers, that is confidence. Not only that, they're all working together for our good, our spiritual good, our eternal good, and even our temporal good, even now. We can look at all of these things to know that God is gracious and kind and he's faithful and he's sovereign and he rules and he reigns. And as we move to verse 29, we continue to flesh out, if you will, that safety that we have, that confidence, that assurance we all have when we are in Christ, when we love God, as verse 28 says. So for believers, you can have the greatest of confidence that not only has God saved you, he is keeping you, he is molding you, and he is carrying you finally and ultimately to glory. You can have that confidence today, believer, and that's what we want to look to in our passage. As uh, your safety and as you are secure because of the plan which God has laid out for you, we want to look at how all parts from beginning to end now are in God's hands. Those whom he foreknew will be those whom he glorifies, this passage says. In other words, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Those whom he foreknew, those whom he's conforming to the image of the Son, justifying, will be the ones he will also glorify. From beginning to end, all of it is in God's hands, fulfilling God's purpose, and that includes your life. I just want to make three simple points then this morning, if I can. Three simple things. First, Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Psalm chapter 3, verse 8, David says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. From the beginning of Romans, we have understood that man is sinful, and we've understood that the wages of sin is death. We've seen from the beginning of Romans that, that no one has an excuse, that all of us have seen the glory of God and the power and majesty of his might, even in creation. We have all seen this from the beginning, and we have all turned from it and tried to suppress the truth with our own unrighteousness. The scriptures have been clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But what we've also seen in Romans is that the gift of God is eternal life. While all of us have sinned and the wages of sin is death, God gives the gift of eternal life. As one person says, the only thing we add to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he makes this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. 
telling of how Jesus is exalted, how he is the one that has turned the, the wisdom of this world into folly, how Jesus through his cross and his, his, his resurrection has made all of this life possible. Paul ends this statement by saying, and because of him, speaking of Christ, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. When we talk about our salvation, there is no room for our boasting in ourselves. I've said so many times in my ministry that if it is God-centered, it is good. If it is man-centered, it is bad. And so when we look at this passage, that's exactly what we want to say. How do we understand our salvation? It is all of God. Because of him, we are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. All of that is given to us because of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Nothing of what we have, we have done. That is what I want to point out in these first words here in our passage as we look to verse 29. He says, uh, for uh, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Here, this word foreknow, we want to look to how the Bible uses this word. First, it's, refer it's, it's referring back to those, for those he whom he foreknew. It's referring back to those. So it's not talking about everyone, only the ones that love God and are called according to his purpose. He's putting those in the category of verse 28. We know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew. He's putting it here saying, that's who we're talking about. Not everyone is referred to here. Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose, those are the ones he foreknew. So this is more than just cognition. This is more than just God looking into the future and knowing something about them. In fact, when we read scripture, we know that God knows everything about everybody and every family on earth. When Paul is preaching in Acts 17 at the area of Pegasus, and he's trying to make a, a connection there with the Gentiles, he says that, that God is the one who determines where the families of this earth live. He determines their boundaries. He determines what, where, they, where they live, where they dwell, what they do. It is God who establishes each one. And so we recognize that, that God knows all about the families of the earth. He knows all about them. But about his people, his people, there's a difference. He says to the prophet Amos, you only have I known all of, all of all the families of the earth. You only have I known. God is saying that there is that sense in which it is only those who are his people that he knows. And he knows intimately. He knows intimately. What's happening here, this idea of foreknow is creating a picture of us, of God entering into a relationship with us. He's entering into a relationship with us. God began by making a decision to enter into a relationship with you. If you're a child of God, what he's saying here is those whom we foreknew, God before the foundations of the world, as we'll see in Ephesians 1, God before the foundation of the world made a decision to enter into a relationship with you. God's idea, God's plan, all of that flows for our salvation. He has saved you. If you're a child of God this morning, God has saved you because he wanted to. 
There's nothing good in us. As, as Augustus Top Lady sang in Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring, simply through the cro- to the cross I cling. There's nothing good in us that would make or desire God to love us or to come after us. In fact, Romans tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were still ungodly, Christ died for us. And so our salvation is the fact that God, in the very beginning, made a decision to pursue after us and enter into a relationship with us. It's all of grace. We know this word grace. It means um, a gift that we do not deserve. It's all of his grace salvation is. Salvation is all of him. He could have left When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he could have led them out of the garden and left them in their sin. When Abraham uh, was there in the Ur of the Chaldeans and, and there was no one to follow after his promises, he could have left him there and he could have ended it if he wished. When the brothers of, of Jacob there, the sons of Jacob, had sold Joseph into slavery and sent him off and then famine hits the land, God could have let them die in that famine. When Moses had committed murder and fled out to leave and to flee from his people in Egypt, God could have left him there. He, could, he never had to visit him with a burning bush. And he could have left Israel in bondage forever. He could have left all of them there and he would be perfectly right and just to do so. God could have left us in our sin. But God, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, when you were disobedient to his word and his truth, when you were depraved, pursuing after the lusts of your flesh and desires, when you were doomed, when you had the same blood flowing in you like the children of mankind, doomed to an eternal hell, the scripture says. But God, because of his great mercy by which he loved us, he brought us back from the dead. God is not going to leave you halfway. God is not going to leave you in your sin if you're a child of God. He saved you out of it. He's pursued you and brought you out of it. But God, salvation belongs to God. Listen to me, children of God. Listen to me, sons of God. Listen to me, daughters of God. Listen to me, all of you who love him. All of you who love him. You love him because he first loved you, the scripture said. He desired to enter into a relationship with you while you were still a sinner. While you were still a sinner, he entered into a relationship with you. That's the meaning, I believe, of this passage, which brings us to our second point. God will not only enter into this relationship and save you, he will conform his people into the image of his son. Salvation belongs to God, and God will conform his people to the image of his son. I know my points are real creative. We're on Facebook Live, and and everybody has the opportunity to see this, not just in our church. So I wanted to be a little bit more creative, but I decided not to today. So God will conform his people into the image of his son. That's exactly what he says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That's the idea of this passage. 
We are adopted into a family. We have the blessing of calling him father. We have the inheritance as heir and co-heirs of Christ. We have been given these things through him. I mean, when we read this passage, we recognize what it means to be able to pray, our father who art in heaven. We recognize what it means to know that there is something waiting for us, an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, and unperishing, waiting on us because we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We have this privilege. We've been adopted into this family. And when we read the text, Paul wants to make it clear all throughout his writings and all throughout the New Testament that Jesus is our example in everything. He's our example in all that we do. We look to have the mind of Christ. We we seek to follow after his example. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We want to look to him as our example in all things. The early Christians preached so much of Christ, proclaimed him so much, and sought to live their life as an an example of his life and, and a picture of his life that they were referred to as Christians. They got the name because it means little Christ, those who are following after him. So it's the very definition of what it means to be a Christian, someone who is following after Jesus, following after him, and looking to him as their leader. Simply, this means that not only is God saving us, but he is directing us toward a particular goal. Goal. That's exactly what what it goes. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So many people love to pull out that word predestined, have arguments and arguments over that. But I I don't think that's what we're going to do this morning. Here's what I want you to see. You have to take that entire phrase together. You have to take that entire phrase together. He's saying those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He did not just save you. He is making you into the image of Christ. He did not just decide to enter into a relationship with you, but not only that, he is going to make you into the image of his son. He's directing you toward a particular goal. That's why the author of Hebrews says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. He's making you into good sons and good daughters to be like Christ. He's making us into the very one that he spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Don't we all want him to say that of us? Don't we all want God to say that of of each and every one of us? Well, if that's the case, then you must be conformed into the image of Christ. And God is committed. God is committed to not only save you and redeem you through the precious blood of his son, but he's also committed to conforming you into the image of his son. He's committed you conforming you there. Pursue holiness as Christ was holy. Pursue faithfulness as Christ was faithful. Follow in obedience, even unto death, the scripture says. For Christ was obedient even unto death. This is not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And as he's shaping us, and I, I, I like that image of carving us and making us that conformity into Christ, we recognize that some of those cuts and some of those things that may happen to conform us or shape us are going to be painful. They're going to be hard. The scripture tells us that we must take off or put to death the deeds of the flesh. Colossians 3 says we put on what is righteous and what is good. And so there's this action here that while we're pursuing holiness and faithfulness and obedience, even unto death, that what we must be doing is we must be actively, through the power of the Spirit, following and pursuing after Christ as our example. 
And then comes glory. He conforms us and he shapes us and he molds us into Christ and then comes glory. But here I want you to see that that glory is not necessarily for you. While we participate in it, while we enjoy it, while, while we uh, enjoy it and participate in this glory, it's not really for us. Because look at what he says. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, that's the son, might be the firstborn among many believers. That's putting Christ first. That's putting him as exalted one. That's putting him above all things. So he's saying that the more comes to know him, he foreknew them, he's redeemed them, called them out, predestined them to be conformed to the image of son of his son. The more that is redeemed and comes to know him, the more glory Jesus gets, the more exaltation Jesus gets. And when I can say this to you as a church family, that is our desire. No glory for ourselves, no honor for ourselves even, only for Christ, we seek to exalt him above all other things. We seek to recognize that he is the one that saved us and redeemed us, so he will be the one that we will glory and worship forever. In that sense, that's exactly what he's saying. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son so that Jesus gets more glory. Do you want to glorify Jesus with your life? Then pursue him with holiness. Be conformed into his image. Be obedient to his truth. God is working to do this in your life. You pursue after the Lord. And the end is the glory and exaltation of Jesus Christ. The glory of Christ is the end of all redemption. Think about it. When we're gathered around the throne in heaven forever, all of us having been redeemed and saved by the blood of the Lamb, what do we do? We worship and we honor and we glory Christ. So God has decided to enter a relationship with you, one that will redeem you by grace and conform you into the image of Christ. This was before the foundation of the world. If I could read a passage that kind of puts these two things together, it's Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul writing says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You see, Paul is saying, blessed God, we praise God, we thank God for he has saved us. He has redeemed us. We don't praise ourselves for this. We praise him. He has saved us and he's redeemed us. How has he done this? He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. He's decided, he's foreknown us by pursuing a relationship with us so that we would be conformed, holy and blameless before him into the image of Christ. This is exactly what Paul is saying in Romans 8, 29. All of this, God has saved us and redeemed us to conform us into the image of Christ so Jesus gets more glory. During this time of kind of chaos and everybody's scrolling through Facebook and Twitter and all of those things all the time, during this time, isn't it right that we want to give Jesus all the glory we can give him? Whatever we post on Facebook, whatever we post on Twitter, whatever we post on Instagram, that's our, our window to the world, if you were. It's our testimony. 
And we want to give Jesus all the glory we can possibly give him. And in the same way, we want to lead our families well. We want to lead each other well, not only leading them, but our own life so that we're pursuing after holiness. Take advantage of these moments, as difficult as it may be, and the uncertainty that may be there. We as Christians can take advantage of these moments to dig deeper into our relationship with Jesus and to take our family to places we may not have ever done because of the busyness that was there in our life that is now lost and gone. For God has saved us and redeemed us. Praise God for his kindness. And now he's conforming us into the image of his son, but he's doing one more thing. All of that he's done, foreknown, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We need to know third, that God will bring all of his children home. He will not lose one. God will bring all of his children home. God has foreknown, desired to enter into a relationship with those whom God loves and loves God and are called according to his purpose. And God has predestined them to be conformed to the image of son. This is God's decision even beforehand. Now it addresses the immediate So God has foreknown, he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now he has called, he has justified, he has glorified. He will glorify. Now, I want us to see this, to understand it. God has called us. This passage here at calling is not just some some general calling. It's specific here. It's for those who love him and are following after him. God has called us, and I would like for you just to consider for a moment, and and maybe when we finish this sermon, to discuss with your family, if you're a child of God, husband or wife, mother or father, tell your kids your own testimony of how God called you and saved you. For some of us, for some of us, it's this great story of the fact that we were born into a family that loved Jesus and followed Jesus and told us from the very beginning who Jesus was and what he'd done for us. For others, it was a friend that may have pursued you even late in life or early in life, whenever it may be, who came and invited you to church and and told you the gospel. For many others, it it may be a co-worker or this miraculous story of how God brought you to your knees. But, But tell someone today of that testimony. And your family's a great place to start if they have not already heard it. For some of you, it may be some strange dude on Facebook Live, some strange guy on Facebook Live. Now, normally I would not recommend that, but times are changing now. Tell how God used his word and found you when you were lost and undone and called you to be his own. And you went from someone who who was outside of God distant from him and far from him to one of those who love God and are called according to his purpose and have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those who he decided to enter a relationship with, those whom he decided to adopt, tell how you are one of those and think of how God has called you. And if he's called you, If he's called you, which is evident because you respond to his grace, then you are justified. You've been declared righteous by the merits of Jesus Christ our Lord. So no longer are you unrighteous and needing of sin. Now you are righteous in Christ because God has justified you because of what Christ has done. God has justified you and made you righteous. Then, through this life as he's conforming you, he will bring you finally home. He's called you, justified you, and he will glorify you. Now, when I say he will glorify you, I'm telling it from our perspective. 
all of us now that are listening to this are still living in this world and we're still dealing with the fallenness of it even today. The very fact that I'm addressing you in this setting from this place means that fallenness is there. At the same time, we all look forward to the day that he will call us home, that he will glorify us, where he will uh, bring us to the very throne of Christ Jesus himself. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, even as, as Matthew 24 says he will. We look forward to that day. But I'm speaking even now in my own perspective, from our perspective, that he will glorify us. But you need to know that all of these words in the scripture themselves, as Paul is writing them, are written in the past tense. God called, he's justified, and he will glorify. He's glorified. What does that mean? He's written in the past tense. All of these, Paul is writing from God's perspective. In other words, it is done. If you're a child of God and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've responded to him by grace and he's conforming you into the image of his son and he's called you and your life now is his and he's justified you as his righteousness is yours and made you his own child, he will glorify you. In other words, Paul is writing this as if it is already done. It's already done and completed. God is not going to lose a single one of his children. And you need to know, brothers and sisters, even in the midst of uncertainty, you need to know that if you are a child of God, your inheritance is sure. It is undefiled and it is unfading and it is kept in heaven for you. No one can take it. No one can rob it. No one can steal it. It is yours. And death may come to us in any way, shape, or form. Even while we're stamping out all of these things, I was looking at the, the CDC website. 10,000 people last year died in America from falling out of their bed. Death comes to us in so many different ways. But what you need to know is that if you're a child of God, Death does not have the final word. And your confidence and your assurance is in something that cannot be shaken. That is in the righteousness of Christ Jesus himself. And you've been called. You've been justified. You will definitely, without a doubt, be glorified. He saved you. He is keeping you. And he will ultimately bring you to glory. From beginning to end, it's all of God. And you are safe in his arms. Many people debate over so many of the meanings of these words in Romans 8. I find that, to be honest, as I grow older in ministry, to be a little bit sad. These truths are golden for us. They are glorious truths that, that aren't worth our ultimate debate over, but worth our intensity in giving our life to. God has a plan that he is unfolding and that he gives a renewed sense of assurance to, even for now. And that plan is for our good. Because it conforms us to Christ and leads us finally to glory. As one commentator says, the point of this present passage is that, despite the evils of the age through which the children of God make their way, God will not be deflected from his good purposes for them. Hold fast to that, brothers and sisters. Hold fast to that. Today, today, thank God for his kindness in saving you and redeeming you. While you were yet a sinner, he sent his son to die for you. He has pursued the relationship with you. And now everything you hold precious is because God has given it. 
you're not a child of God, if you're listening to this and you kind of stumbled upon it even, whether you're a part of our Lake Murray family or, or someone in our community or someone far outreaching all of that and stumbled upon this time, you need to know that your safety and your security in this world can only be found in Christ. Nothing is safe. And if anything, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we should know that and know that well. But Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, he is safe. And so give your life to the one who has pursued you and coming after you, even through a video, online sermon. Christ is calling. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the assurance and confidence that we can have as believers. Your kindness to us is overwhelming. God, while we are uh, apart and cannot truly gather together here one place, you have allowed us to gather in another way. Your good providence in allowing social media and cameras and all these other things to work through your creation and the people you made, Father is good for us. And so we thank you, God, that we can still hear your word proclaimed together. And God, I ask that you be with our families, you be with our loved ones, you be with anyone who is listening to this, to this uh, sermon this morning, that you would teach them and show them again that you are kind and you are good and there is assurance that they can have in you. So, Father, may we all put our faith and trust in you. May we all be pursuing that desire to be conformed into the image of Christ. God, work in our hearts and our lives. Be with our people who are hurting, who are sick, who are ill. Be with the ones, Father, who who cannot get out and should not get out. Help us to serve and serve well as your church. Give uh, every one of our, our members in our church a desire on how they can lend a hand and be a part of something here at Lake Murray as we continue to, to serve and be the church in our community. Father, thank you for this day. Be with us now as we continue to pursue after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Lake Murray Baptist Church. Lake Murray Baptist Church is a Southern Baptist church in Lexington, South Carolina. For more information about our church, you can go to our church website, lakemurraybc.org. This ministry resource, along with all of our ministries, are provided by the faithful and generous tithes and offerings of our church members. To give to the ministry of Lake Murray Baptist Church, go to our website and click on the giving tab on the homepage. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged by this message and that you'll share it with friends and family and those that you know.